Lord and good evening. Good to see you. Good song. Good two songs to sing. I was thinking about writing a few extra verses to that tell it to Jesus. Are you troubled at the thought of the election? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. There's a lot of things that uh, we need to tell, tell the Lord about. So we'll work on that. We're going to pray here in just a moment. And uh, good, good to see you. I love the Wednesday night service. Glad you're able to be here. I know the 6 o'clock start time is kind of a challenge still for some, but still it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a blessing. I think it's still working out okay. Um, good to have the Johnsons back. They were up way up north in the upper peninsula of Michigan, and they're good to have them back. Um, we have some folks out tonight. Several folks have mentioned to me that they're sick, got sickness in their family, so we'll pray for them. And, um, you know, we, we were praying uh, the other day f about uh, the, the family, for the family uh, that had the COVID, and it was really, that's kind of the way I think that Kelly got it. Well, he, the, the husband, the, passed away a couple of weeks ago, and then his wife passed away just our first part of this week, I understand. Um, and so pray about that situation. And our... Uh, Missions conference. We put the dates up on the on the uh, projector. You can see those. But let's pray about that. Starts uh, Sunday, October the 25th. It's going to be a good conference. We have several missionary guests that are going to be with us, and uh, um, Brother Jeremy Taylor from uh, Duncan, Oklahoma, will be will be preaching, and so we're looking forward to it. But let's pray that God will really use it. Speaking of missions. Our missionary for this week is uh, Brother Don Clough in Scotland. Pray for their family. So let's pray and ask the Lord to just uh, hear these requests. And let's pray about this service. Pray for uh, God to work in our hearts. And uh, again, it's good to be here. We've already prayed for the service. Let's pray again. The Lord will use it. So let's just bow our heads together for a moment. And let's pray. Pray, if you would, for these needs, these folks who have sickness in their family and other needs as well. Our Father, as we come before you tonight, we come, Lord, just uh, grateful, Lord, that we can bring our burdens and our needs and our sorrows to you and that we can tell you. And Lord, you admonish us, you encourage us. We think of your words in the Gospels, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full, Lord, that we can come and know that you hear us. And so we, we're grateful. We're so grateful for that. And our Father, we do pray for this uh, family, not knowing the family personally that have lost two their loved ones recently. We just ask you, Lord, to help them and, and uh, comfort them. We pray tonight for those that are out with sickness. We ask you, Lord, that you just help them, um, Lord, just to uh, get through this. And um, none of it sounds major, but Lord, uh, it's, we just pray for them, ask your Lord to help them. And Father, we pray tonight for Brother Clough and his family. Thank you for their faithful service there in Scotland. We pray you'd continue, Lord, to uh, minister. And we thank you for the potential there, the possibilities. And we especially are grateful for their faithfulness. We pray for the Moore family tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you'd be with them and help them. We think of other missionaries. 
Lord, that are uh, having special needs at this time. And uh, Brother Tom Gooday and Crenny, his wife, pray for them and their physical needs. Pray that you'd help them tonight. And then, our Father, we pray for our upcoming conference, and we look forward to it already. We pray you'd use it. God, would you just um, begin to prepare our hearts, prepare those who will be with us. And uh, we ask you, Lord, that you just have your will and way in that. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again to be here tonight. Pray that you'd bless in the service as we sing to you. Lord, we just want to honor you and praise you, give you thanks. Lord, give you the glory you deserve. And pray that our time in the Word of God would be well spent. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing together. Take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Acts. Couldn't figure out if my phone was on or off or silenced or muted. Or Sometimes it happens. 
Acts chapter 19. Last night, my wife and I were up in Columbia, Missouri, where I was able to preach um, at a church up there, north side of Columbia, where Brother George Jane Shill is the pastor. Y'all remember the Jane Shills, George and Amy? 25 years ago or so, they were on our staff here teaching in our school. We've, so we've known them for quite a number of years, but he's pastoring up there. And uh, my, it was good to be with them. By the way, if you think uh, restrictions uh, on masks and things like that are bad here, you ought to go to Columbia. It's a lot different. It's like in the city, you know. But uh, anyway, we had a great time, good service, good spirit in the church. And uh, I was really encouraged by it. And I preached from this text. I'm not going to preach the same message, but I'll tell you, the text itself just really uh, has been on my mind and heart. And so I'm just to look at it together tonight and make some personal applications just about prayer and about um, seeking the Lord. It's been our theme really on Wednesday night, it seems like, uh, for our country and for ourselves and for our community. So we're going to read a few verses uh, to begin with, and we're going to start in verse 18. But please stand with us, if you would, for the reading of the scripture, Acts chapter 19 and verse 18. And this has to do with uh, some deeds, some activities uh, that are going on in the, in the church at Ephesus. And um, beginning in verse 18, it says, As many that believed... And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts. And that would have to do with magic and sorcery, things of that nature. They were involved in that satanic uh, stuff. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And then the verse that we really will emphasize tonight, verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That's a very interesting statement, verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You may be seated. Thank you very much. It's, it's really interesting to me to think about um, that phrase, that the word of God grew, so mightily grew. It's increasing. There's an increase of God's power. There's an increase of what is taking place in that particular community. And it grew mightily, it says in verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God. It's not growth in numbers. We think about growing a church. This is not growing in numbers. This is not even growing in grace. You know, Peter said, but to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not growing in numbers. It's not growing in grace. It's God's word growing. God's, that's what it says in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God. It's God's, the influence of God's word growing in a mighty way. Mightily describes the way it is growing. And it says in verse 20, and prevailed. So, we, so this is what's happening in this church. It's a church uh, in Ephesus, and the word of God is increasing. It's a good thing, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you think that's a good thing, that the word of God is increasing, it's growing in its 
influence. And it's a great thing to behold. Now, um, some weeks ago, I, we dealt with the church at Ephesus just a little bit in a message we called the preservation of churches. Um, just, just briefly, uh, two, two words that are so important about the, about the life of a church. One is perpetuity, and perpetuity means that God has promised that there'll be sound churches always. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. There'll always be good churches. But good churches are not guaranteed that they're going to continue to exist. We all know of churches that were good churches and, and no longer they're in existence or some that no longer stand for the right thing. And so, so what preserves good churches? And we, in that message, we use the, this church here at Ephesus as a, part of our, as a part of our message. Now, there are a lot of churches in the New Testament that we know very little about. For instance, the church at Sardis is mentioned in the in Revelation, we all we have is one mention. The church at Philadelphia is mentioned. We don't know a lot about the church at Philadelphia. There are churches we know very little about, but we know more about other churches. For instance, we know a lot more about the church at Thessalonica because Paul wrote two epistles, and we also have the book of Acts that tell us about those churches. We know a great deal about the church at Antioch. We have the foundation of the church, the starting of that church. And we have the church sending out missionaries. And by the way, those things are important because we, as a church, those are, that's where we get our pattern. That's where we get our example. That's where we get our instruction is from the New Testament churches. And another church, of course, the church at Jerusalem. But the, the Ephesian church, we also know a lot about that church. And if you look here in um, Acts chapter 19... And look in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So this is, this is the record, not of Paul's first visit to Ephesus, but his second visit to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. So Paul and his company have come to Ephesus, this city in Asia. If you look down a little bit further in that chapter... It says in verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. That was Paul's M.O. That was his normal procedure. He would go to the synagogues, and there he would uh, preach Christ to the Jewish community there. But they resisted, verse 9 says, But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. He pulled the disciples away from there and disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And now verse 10 is an important verse. And this continued by the space of two years. So two years Paul stayed there in Ephesus. Two years after I believe they separated and from that place so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both uh, Jews and Greeks, they're not only assembling now in the church at Ephesus, but the entire region. The language is that all they in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So they're not just having church, they're taking the gospel to the entire region, all those in Asia. So, so we have this record of what's going on in the church at Ephesus. We know about the beginning of the church. We also know about the near 
We'll call it the decline of the church. Because in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the first church that Jesus addressed in his um, message to the seven churches of Asia was the church at Ephesus. And you'll remember that. He, at least one part of that you'll remember. He, says he, had, he commended them for the goods that they had done. And then he said this, But nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So that's the same church here, the church at Ephesus. He said, I've got, I've got a bone to pick with you. I've got an issue that we need to talk about. And to understand the importance of this issue in the church, uh, Jesus said to that church to remember from whence you've fallen and repent or else I will come quickly and take the candlestick from away from you. Do you remember that? That's, that's pretty serious stuff. Now the candlestick, we know in Revelation 1, the candlestick is the churches. So Jesus basically said, if you don't get this right, he's talking to this church, this very church here we're reading about in Acts chapter um, 8 19. He said to this church in Revelation, if you don't get this right, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be a part of this assembly. That's what Jesus said. Now, so that, to me, it's a very, per so we have this great picture of a church, a literal church. It's, it's formation and it's decline. And sadly, uh, the church not only declined, it finally uh, ceased to exist, the church at Ephesus. So what we're looking at here, though, would, was a thriving time in the life of the church. That's what I want us to see tonight. This was a, a time of when God is really working in some amazing ways. As we read a moment ago in the earlier part of the chapter, Paul spent two years there. And everybody in the area, Jews and Greeks, are hearing the gospel and God has continued to work. His influence is growing. So much so in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now that's what I want us to think about tonight. What was going on in this church that God was able to bless in such a great way? And every church ought to want that. We ought to want that. God's blessing in a great way. And I think part of it is seen in these verses, in verses 18 and 19. And, and, it's, it's, and it has to do really with the way people are turning to the Lord. Look in verse 18, it says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So just notice, let's just, let's just forget everything that we've ever experienced or seen about the way people might come to the Lord. And let's think about these people coming to the Lord and it says they, they came and confessed and showed their deeds. These were believers, it says in verse 18, and many that believed, I have that word believed underlined, highlighted my, in my Bible, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. They're publicly coming and acknowledging the sinful practices that has been a part of their life. I mean, people are really repenting. They're, they're not, these are not like uh, undercover Christians. You know, these people, these people are really seriously uh, under conviction and dealing with things. And they've been involved in some really ungodly practices. I mean, this, 
This is demonic stuff. Sorcery, witchcraft, magic, fortune telling, those kinds of things. So they're not, they're not just even coming to church. They're bringing all this paraphernalia with them, their books and these things they used in their, in their witchcraft, you know. They're bringing all this stuff. And, and, and notice what they do with it. Look in verse 19. It says they burned them before all men. I mean, that, wouldn't it be a great thing to see? Imagine that you were there in the town square at Ephesus and, and uh, people aren't really, all the people aren't really on board with Paul and his ministry. As a matter of fact, just after this, he gets some really serious pushback from people because they worshiped idols and Paul was against that idolatry, of course. But imagine being there in the town square and all these people that have been involved in all of this nonsense, all of this demonic activity, just bringing all their stuff and building a fire and burning all this stuff. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to behold? And why were they doing that? Because God was working. I find that to be a lot different sometimes than, than all of us maybe have been at some point in time where we're, we're really reluctant to let God really have his way in our life, you know, hesitant. Giving, giving this to God, giving that to God. But th that's not what's going on here. Um, people are just freely getting this stuff out of their life. They're publicly disposing of this stuff. And, and to me, one of the, my, the I think the things that stands out to me, and I appreciate being in the Word of God, is they didn't just bring it and give it to the apostles, they burned it which tells me that they never intended to go back to that, right? When you burn it up. It's been a long, long, long time ago, but I remember uh, a teenager once at camp that uh, got into conviction about their music that they're listening to, you know? No teenagers here ever listen to bad music, but I mean, back then there were some teenagers listening to the wrong kind of music they got so under conviction that they went home and put it under their mattress. Now, what does that say? It says, I'm going to get it out of my sight, but I, might, I want it close enough I can go back to it if I ever want to. But that's not the way these people were. They were burning it. They were getting it out of their life. They were ridding their life of these things. They had no intention of going back. And... In verse 19 it says, and they, and it doesn't tell us who they were, the pronoun they. Perhaps it was those who were burning them, but they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, there's a lot of disagreement on how, what that would have been worth, but certainly it was worth thousands of dollars, even then. But the, but the exact amount really is not important. What is, there, here's what's important. This is what's really important to me about this. Is their willingness to give it all to God. Because I think there is a direct link, a direct connection between their willingness, these people's willingness to really give it all to God and the way God was working. Because they, the way it follows in verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It seems to me that the way the people were responding to God and his word was causing God 
to work even more. Does that make sense to you? The way, I'm going to say it again, the way people were responding to God's word and what God was doing in a positive way, in a very clear way, in a public way, just lended itself to God working even more. I believe that. By the way, if that's true, if that's true, then the very opposite, I think, could happen. And that is when people aren't really responding to God and responding to God's word and letting God work, he's going to work less and less. God never forces himself into our life. God doesn't make us obey him. God doesn't make us love him. God doesn't make us worship him. I mean, we can sit in church and worship God with all our heart, or we can sit in church and think about everything else. You know what I'm saying? But I think the more people let God have his way, the more God is going to work. I want God to work. Don't you? I want God to work in our community. I want God to work in our families. I want God to work in my life. I want God to, I want God to work. But God never just works without people wanting him to. God doesn't work without people cooperating with him. I can tell you something, young person. You can sort of dismiss the matters of God's will and say, well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to let him have that part of my life and I'm not going to surrender to this. But if you do that, you can do that, but if you do that, don't expect God to bless your life because he's not going to. And that's why sometimes people feel that God, even though they know, they know God is real, he doesn't seem real to them. God's, God's not going to intrude upon our plans. He's not going to intrude upon our life. So I see that there's, these things are connected. And so to me it makes, and, I, and I'm, really this is kind of the bottom line, I just really want us to pray for God to work, to have his way. We need the Lord. I say this every, every week, but particularly on Wednesday night, we need to pray for our community and pray for our country because we're not, a, we're not in a good place. I mean, I'm not saying God's not doing some good things, but there's a lot wrong with us. In, in many ways, we're trending in the wrong direction. And you can't fix it. I can't fix it. The church can't fix it. Only God can really fix it. So to me, this, with this, this sort of begs the question, how much do we really want to see God work? And I, I do really want to see him work. I mean, I know, and I'm not just talking on a personal level, I'm talking about people who, people who need to be saved, people who, whose marriages need intervention, people need the Lord in a real way. And if we, as God's people, if we don't have a genuine, sincere desire to see God work, who, who is going to have a desire to see God's work, right? It ought to be us. It ought to be us who are praying and fasting and seeking God, not just to make our life more pleasant, but to work in people's lives in a powerful way. And, and these people had such, 
such an example of repentance. Few places, there are other places, but few places will be more noticeable, more documented than it is here. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. I mean, these people are seriously getting their lives right with God. All of us, I think, know what it's like. If we think about it, I think most of us know what it's like to make a dedication or a consecration or a commitment to God with reservations. By that I mean with a bit of hesitation, with wanting to give it all to God, but also wanting to hold back some from ourselves. You know, a lot. I don't know if anybody here right now feels this way, but a lot of people have gone through times when they they want God, but they don't really know how. They don't want God to have complete control. I mean, I want to control some things in my life, right? But God wants to, the more we let God have his way, the more God is going to work. The more we take, the more we take our foot off the brakes, the more God is going to work. And so I use these people as an example. And, uh, I mean, I was, I was in a meeting uh, a few weeks ago where there was another preacher there and he made this, uh, He made this comment, he said, how much are we willing to pay to see real revival? And he wasn't talking about paying money. He's talking about paying the price. Paying the price in prayer. Paying the price in surrender and seeking God. How much are we willing to do that? And, and, and propose that question. What, what might it cost to have revival, really? And I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to be cynical about this. This sounds kind of cynical. But I, find, I think a lot of people just want a comfortable Christian life. You know, if we have a job and our bills are paid and our kids are not misbehaving and um, have a hope of retiring one day, that's really... That's really what I want out of life. But I'm telling you, that's what lost people want. Right? That's what they want. We ought to want a lot more than that. We ought to want to see God at work. We ought to want to see God working in people's lives. We ought to want to see the work of missions and evangelism going forward. Those are the things that ought to burden us, is helping get the gospel to people. And, and I don't see, if we don't have more of this attitude of really having a heart for God, I'll question whether we can really expect God to, to, to really pour his blessing out like he was here in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And I don't think we ought to, I'm not advocating that we ought to be like these people, that everything we've done wrong, we ought to make it public. You know, we ought to air out all our dirty laundry. I don't think that. But I do think this, we ought to be serious about the sin in our life. Right? We ought to take it seriously. And we ought to want God to have his way. And what happened here when these people did this? God's word grew mightily, increasing, prevailing. Prevailing means it was strong, it was forceful, it was overcoming. 
And these people and people even in witchcraft and sorcery were being impacted. That's what we need to see in our families. Not that they're using witchcraft, but I'm telling you, most people I know don't have a really close relationship with God. I'm talking about people outside of our closer church family. I don't think most people have that, and they need that. That's what God wants for them. You know, publicly, to me, these people, publicly renouncing their sins was like a show of, of true humility. True humility. Burning them was like a, a, a sign that we, are, we hate what we've done. We're ashamed of where we've been. We don't ever want to go there again. We want our life to be different. And it was not only... It was not only an expression of their past, how much they regretted the way they've lived their life, but it was also, to me, a sign of their devotion to Christ. This is, this, I, we have a new love in our life. We want to follow the Lord. We're not going to follow that stuff. We want to follow the Lord. You know, I was reading a, just thought of this just now, reading a part of a, a newsletter recently from a missionary and I'm not going to give his name but he's in Africa on the African continent and uh, he asked for special prayer maybe I'll mention this again uh, Sunday but he asked for special prayer because there was a, a young lady a 14 year old girl that got saved in their ministry they have a ministry outreach and uh, education part of the community and this 14-year-old girl who came from a strictly Muslim family, she got saved. And that's exciting, isn't it? But her parents um, are so opposed to the way she's living her life because she's so in love with the Lord and so committed to the Lord that they don't know what to do with her. So they're they're forcing her to move a great distance away to be with a, a more Muslim family member so she can sort of get over this commitment she has to the Lord. And, uh, and they're very concerned about her, what that might hold for her. But think about this young person, a 14-year-old girl, when your whole family is anti-Christ Muslim, who has a strong, dynamic testimony for Christ, so much so that her family is going to try to send her away to get her uh, indoctrinated back into the lies of... What I'm just saying is, those kind of things ought to challenge all of us to ask ourselves, Am I, are we really living this life the way it's supposed to be lived? Just coming to church and hanging out with Christian friends, not really talking about spiritual things sometimes, just talking about what the world talks about, talking about football, talking about soccer, talking about this. But you know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking maybe God has more for us than that. Being more like these people. Before all men, they're, they're acknowledging their faith and turning to the Lord because they, because they were burning their bridges behind them. And because they intended to live a different life. And 
I believe that's what God really wants for us. I believe that's what God wants for all of us. And um, to have that kind of a view of life. That's one of the reasons, by the way, why we have a Bible. Because if you don't take the Bible seriously, you're going to base what you believe about Christianity by what you see in people who profess to be saved. And I'm not being not knocking people because I know a lot of people who love the Lord as well. But at the same time, the Bible shows us what we ought to be living like. The Bible shows us what we ought to be thinking like. And, and, that's, and that's a much better source, a much more reliable uh, source. And really, I think part of what we need, if I could put it this way, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that we're, I'm not saying everything we're doing is not right because I think we are. I just think we live in a world where we need to step it up a little bit as far as our relationship to God, our faith, our testimony. And take it a little more seriously because Christianity is fairly acceptable in America as long as it stays inside the walls of the house, the church house. But when you get outside of it, you get in the community, get in the public sector, and more and more the, the sentiment is not the same as it used to be. You know what I'm talking about. I think most people would agree with that. And what we really have to do is I think is get kind of sick of where we are. And say, Lord, I want more than this. I don't, want to, I don't want to stay where I am. And that's where these people were. They were, not, they, they were not wanting to stay where they were. They were wanting a different life. And we need to get to the place that we really want a different place, a better place. I mentioned this last night where I was at. And I don't think I mentioned this here uh, Sunday. If I did, forgive me. But... Um, this place I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, there was a fellow that said, a man that was pastoring, he said, I used to always say, I never want, I'm never going to, and I never want to, I'm never going to pastor a lukewarm church. That's what he said. And then he said this from the pulpit when he's preaching, but now I'm pastoring a lukewarm church. And what he had to say from the scripture was a it was pretty good, it's profound, but he was just dealing with the fact that so many people who profess to be saved just don't seem to take it seriously. You know, they don't take their faith seriously. They don't apply it to all their life. They don't, they're not trying to live out their faith. And, and maybe it would be good for churches in America and even our church to just sort of get sick of where we are. And you know what happened? The more that we already said it, but, but the more these people just just distanced themselves from their former life and were committed without apology to what God had for them, there was a greater influence of the Word of God that began to happen. And that happens in people's lives. You may have seen that sometime in a family or even among some friends. You take one person who really gets serious about taking their faith to another level. I don't mean getting more saved. I'm just saying taking it more seriously and living it out. And, that can, and, and God can begin to work in other people's lives because of that. And that's, that's exactly, I think, what we find here in Ephesus. God, it was like there was a release of power. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. The word of God was growing and prevailing. And I'll tell you, that's exactly what we need in our day. America doesn't need more churches if the churches aren't really going to be impacting the
the community, you know, with their faith. So what they need is to see the Word of God working in people's lives. And um, we can't make, this is what I get out of this, we can't make God work. We can ask God to work. We can't make God work. But we can allow God to work in us. And the more God is working in us, the more God is going to work in the, in the circumstances around us. You take a family, any family, and you let one member of that family become more serious about their Christian life than they have been, obviously, affecting their language, affecting their attitude, affecting their spiritual appetite, affecting their discipline in their life, and you know what it's going to do? It's going to touch other people in the family. But, but what, we, what we do sometimes is we just sort of all just kind of ex exist at the same comfortable place. And, and all of us have room to grow, amen? Paul, Paul himself said, I've not yet arrived, but I'm pressing toward the mark. And one of the things that I, this is my own observation, and maybe it's not accurate, but I th see there's a lot of, I think, significant spiritual repercussions in a negative way through this COVID thing and these lockdowns and people not serving and we don't have, we're not doing this so we don't have the same, you know, if a person doesn't have the same responsibility of service and ministry, they have a tendency to sort of let up on their spiritual walk. When people are accustomed, when people all of a sudden are accustomed to, instead of being in church several times a week, going to Sunday school, teaching a Sunday school class, going on visitation, going to the prisons, going to the nursing home, and then all of a sudden for several, for weeks and weeks, we just stay at home and watch it on TV. There's a tendency to start letting things slide and become slack. I see that. The answer to that is not just a, continue to be comfortable, the answer is to ask ourselves, what does God really want from us? Am I giving God my best? That's what God deserves, amen? And that's what God wants. So tonight as we pray, that's what I want us to pray about. Lord, I just want, I really want to learn something here from Acts chapter 19, where these people just really gave their all. They just really gave their all. They didn't hold anything back. They didn't make reservations. They didn't, they didn't say, we're going to put all this stuff in a box and we might turn back to it later. No, they just burn it because that's, that was what's in their heart. That's in their mind. They did the right thing. And lots of us have done those things in our life. I've done them you know, years ago, burning books and music and all kinds of stuff. You know why? Because we don't need that garbage in our life. It's not good for us. And if you recognize tonight that there's a part of me that's really not willing to do that, then that's a good thing. You see that. Because that's the thing that we need to push through and just say, Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to give you my life. I want you to work in me. And the more God was working through them, the, the God increased the amount of work he was doing around them. And that is what we need. It makes sense to me. 
Would you do that? Would you say, Lord, I want you to have first place in my life. I don't want to, I'm not, I want, I just want to have no, I'm not holding anything back. I just want you to have your way. Work in my life. Just make that your prayer. And then pray for others. Pray for our community. Pray for God to work because we want him to work. And he wants to work. God wants to work. Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. And I want us to spend a few moments in prayer tonight. I really wanted just to encourage us tonight to look at our level of obedience, our level of surrender, and ask ourselves, is that really what God wants or is that just what I'm what I want, because we want what God wants. Our fathers, we pray tonight. I just want to thank you for this, just a snapshot here in this brief time in the church at Ephesus and how you were working in a powerful way. And Father, as we pray this evening, we, We want you to examine our hearts, Lord. We want to be honest. We want to be sincere. And Lord, if there are areas of our life that aren't surrendered, things that we need to acknowledge, turn from, God, would you just work in in our lives through your grace to be willing, Lord, to surrender, to have let you have your way. And Father, we realize tonight it's not just about us. It's about our families. It's about our community, about people we work with, people that need the Lord. It's about the work of evangelism and missions. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, in a, in a very real way, you just work in our lives. We want to see the Word of God grow mightily grow mightily and prevail. We know it's not by might or by our own intellect, Lord, it's it's by the grace of God that you work, and we pray that we need it, Lord. Our country needs it. Our families need it. We just need you. Would you take a few moments tonight and just pray and Ask God to work in your life.